0: Yard signs may not vote and T-shirts may not vote, but ultimately they do show that there's support within your neighborhood. And particularly now, um, I think with sort of how isolated some people might feel about their political viewpoints and the idea of like wearing sort of your viewpoints on your shirt, Trump's red hat, like all those things, like this idea of sort of it being a values-based component of sort of what people do now is
1: sort of shifted. Hello, this is The Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. I spoke recently to Josh Grossfeld of Wildfire Mail about his new startup, Goodstock & Company where he's building an e-commerce platform for democratic campaigns. It was a good conversation about being born into the business, learning direct mail and political entrepreneurship, now with merchandise. So after a quick word from our sponsor, listen to my interview with Josh Grossfeld of Good Stock and Company. Josh, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography?
0: So, uh, Josh Grossfeld, I'm um, co founder of Good & Company, as well as a founding partner at Wildfire Mail. Grew up in Arizona, uh, one of these rare breeds, a second generation political consultant. So, worked, you know, got my start on the back of uh, you know, campaign offices from the age of eight on, uh, working in the Democratic Party headquarters down in Arizona, and it's going on TV shoots with my dad, and really sort of just kind of growing up in the industry, you know, learning how to look at crosstabs at age 14 putting together the Utah Democrats website at age 16, helping do like the Navajo Nation President's race. Um, so really kind of have been very, very fortunate to sort of grow up in the industry and, and sort of see how it's changed and evolved. Came out to DC in uh, in 02 and started at a, at a firm, uh, Moushershlak and Hoppy Cooper at the time. I worked there for a cycle and then I uh, was fortunate to be introduced to Amy Pritchard who was putting together an organization called Democratic Gain, which helped essentially find people jobs in progressive politics, and particularly folks from underrepresented communities. And that really hit home for me because of the fact that I really recognized how fortunate I was to have parents who understood that it was totally normal to go work someplace for six months and not have a job for three or four, and then try to do it again. So I uh, helped start that and worked there for two years before joining another mail firm where I worked at since you know 2004, um, before joining uh, with Emily Parcell, my, my partner now, in 2015 at, at Wildfire Mail. And then we uh, launched Goodstock as sort of an an output of a wildfire mail in, in 2000, 2019.
1: Your father was a political consultant.
0: Yeah, yeah. so my dad's a political consultant. It's a, frankly my whole, my whole dad's side is very involved in politics so my uncle, speechwriter, etc so you know, really caught the bug at a very very early age. spent about a year in college denying that I caught the bug, but it, uh, realized pretty quickly that it was very well embedded.
1: <laughs> what got him into it and what does he do exactly?
0: So you know he's semi-retired now. Does you know a lot of uh, media communication still? Uh, he got into it. He has a pretty fun background. He grew up uh, college in the '60s. You know, very much like sort of leading protests on, on college campus, starting the you know the first feminist group on, on college campus. Then started doing radio disc jockeying work um, and started like essentially a classic rock station before there was classic rock because it was just rock at the time. And then went and got into journalism. So he's a he's a TV TV news journalist. One of the stories he tried to break was essentially that he had found that one of the news stations was essentially giving favorite favored stories about the Republican uh, member of Congress at the time because the guys were buddies. And he called the studio out on it um, and got fired and then promptly went and worked to run the campaign of the Democratic candidate trying to run against that guy, beat him, and then you know, came up to D.C. to be like the press secretary. And so that's how he got his start in politics, was essentially a damn the man Uh, movement. And did that, went back to journalism for a little bit, um, was like a news editor through a local KTAR station in Arizona, and then started working in TV and, and polling from there.
1: What's his name? Bob Grossfeld. Got it. Well, you know, there's so many vocations where you do follow in the footsteps. It's maybe out of fashion a little bit now, but I think, you know, I think there's something really attractive about Knowing something from a young age, right? Absolutely. Get, getting the space, understanding the, who the players are and what the techniques are, and why it's important. Of the things that you picked up by sort of stewing in that as a as a young man, what do you think was most important?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting to bring that up. We was just talking. I'm a member of a sort of entrepreneurs organization. And we, were, we were talking about something similar to this, and I think, you know, one of the, the hurdles I think to getting into the industry is sort of knowing. That you can, right? <laughs> so that, that's all, just like the first thing that, that this is even a vocation you one could have. And then, two, like once you're in it, like what are the different pathways? And I think you and I are in this. Like, there's a lot of different ways you can be involved, but folks don't recognize all those other pathways. So, like being exposed to that at a very, very early age was incredibly helpful just to know that it, all the different avenues that are out there for me. But really, you know, I remember vividly, like leading up to the campaigns he was running, um, like, being in, in the kitchen table or at the car when he was sort of the big old cell phone talking over races but being over to hear the overhear those conversations it's kind of invaluable right like you get to as a kid no one really thinks you're paying attention but you get to hear you're essentially the eavesdrops on all these really great conversations and hear the strategy getting played out and the disagreements and seeing how to handle those disagreements on strategy and how to sort of like articulate your your viewpoint and how those things kind of come together which you eventually learn in the industry but it takes so long to get there so i think i really had an advantage there just sort of like not necessarily client management, but how to sort of work through the strategy of things with a a large group and sort of navigate what what makes the most sense. And then, you know, see the successes and failures too over the course of a decade and see what worked and what didn't and and how you adjust. Not to mention, you know, sort of being introduced and part of sitting on sets with candidates and other consultants. And, you know, Celinda Lake, I remember, I was like 12 and she brought me like a sandwich and I got to sit in like a poll briefing, right? Like little things like that, like, kind of intangibles so that you just sort of get really comfortable with the lingo and just of how things operate.
1: I think people who watch their parents in their jobs, they either maybe they follow in their footsteps or sometimes they react and they're like, that is not what I'm going to do. What was it that about what he was doing that made you think, Hey, this may be for me too. Even if you denied it for a little bit, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know if there's any one thing about what he was doing. I just know that anytime I was in the office with him, Helping on doing stuff, I just knew I loved doing it. Like it was just, it sort of, it just sort of clicked. Um, I think part of it was like getting to spend time with her dad. And like, you know, that was, you know, really, really special time. But I love, you know, the, the creation of things. Right. And I sort of like, I think that's one of the reasons I was so attracted to Mail at the start it was like, I love the idea of being able to create things, but I also love numbers and sort of like being able to sort of do, do those things. So like it was a nice combination of those two things for me uh, to start. But just the idea of creating and, and seeing potential tangible change. On election day.
1: Something that stuck in my mind, and I've mentioned before, was a conversation I had with Matt Engel, who was uh, head of the DCCC back in the late '90s, uh, executive director. He kind of put for me in order the campaign consultants and you know media consultants and pollsters, sort of sitting above fundraising consultants and uh, you know compliance consultants. And he didn't, I don't think, had mail as a very strategic important piece but it's an enduring piece of the of the space non-digital mail has stayed there and people have made good livings and continue to sell that service as something that has value remind me how you got into it originally and why you think it's a, it's a good place to be.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, in, in 2002, I came out to DC, essentially just, you know, had worked for, with, with my father for a really long time, learned a lot, but sort of came to this realization that like, I can continue doing this, but ultimately I want to see what else is out Like, What else do I know? Right. We all sort of know our limitations of that. So I came out to DC and like with the idea, I'll be here for two years. Let's let me gather as much information, meet more people and go back to Arizona and try to do my thing. Thought I wanted to be on the Hill. So I moved out here um, in June of 2002 uh, with a wool suit that I bought in Arizona because they told me that that's what you need in in, in DC was a, a, a blue wool suit and that's a hot walk, suit in the summer here. Proceeded to walk, proceeded to walk the halls of Congress <laughs> and outside for about a month, dropping off my resume everywhere to be you know an intern or staff assistant. And by my like tenth tenth drop off, one of the staff assistants sort of looked at me like just dripping in sweat and was like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "No, I'm not. This is awful. Like, I don't know that I really actually want to do this. Like, what do you all actually do here?" It um, really like it became very clear, I didn't want to do that side of things. So Sunday. Washington Post uh, classified ad. There was an advertisement for uh, you know account assistant on a mail firm, and I applied. and did an interview and, and got the job. Uh, met my wife there. Um, both our first jobs out of college. Um, like we were the first three hires for the cycle, and did that for you know for the cycle, and you know loved it. Had great great mentors, uh, Chris Cooper, How you know, Mao Chow, Rich Slackman, Trish like really really great folks that you know quickly taught me the industry and what I liked about it was you know again the art and the art, the creation and like the, the, the targeting ability, why I think it endures two reasons. I mean, like, I think this, we have this, this conversation comes up probably once every six years, like is mail done. I think the main reason that it endures is one, all things being equal, it's still one of the only means of communications that can directly target a voter specifically. And you know, like it's reaching them, right. Digital can do this somewhat email can do it somewhat, but you know, the open rates of that gets, you know, Particularly, particularly now getting caught. And then frankly, I think what we've seen in the past four years, ironically, is sort of as digital has increased, the novelty of mail has also increased. So you know, USPS did a bunch of studies. We we saw some of our own our own work recently that like the novelty of mail and actually getting mail is being received more and read more than it was in the past. I mean I think part of that's just because of the fact that people don't get as much. Like we're not actually competing with as many corporate communications there, because they've all pushed the money to digital and mail and to, to TV. But it still relies on sort of like innovating. Like, I don't think you can, we really strive hard at at Wildflower mail in particular not to do just like the 11 by 6 postcards, 8 by 11 we do envelope packages. They have like the handwritten notes. Like you got to get creative to get people into it. But I do think there's still like a there. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the ability to actually, you can actually target a voter and reach them. I think, you know, some folks probably do too much mail. Um, And I think you really kind of have to balance like where is that sort of threshold. But ultimately like it is a is a still a, a a very good way to reach a targeted voter with a message that frankly like might require more than you can present in a 30 second ad, and it seems more believable what you get than what you get on digital ad, particularly after sort of everything we saw with like the past election cycle.
1: I, I had Hal Chow on the show and one of the things he's really known for is kind of innovation on the an- analytic side. Yep, yep. Right. He was very early to that. And part of the, the revolution that kind of has swept through all parts of the industry of, of political consulting and Absolutely. contact. How's that part of your work these days?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is an inter- integral part. So I mean, we do some of our own analysis. I think the the great thing about, you know, from when I was you know working with Hal and doing like the chain analysis with him and sort of like trying to figure out what was what, like there's now a whole... Industry, whole part of the industry that just does that, right? So it is certainly something you can do in-house. I think for us it's much easier to sort of work with another organization that is doing a lot of that analysis already and us sort of work with them in tandem. Who do you work with? Uh, so we have clarity campaigns a fair amount, Civis. A lot of it depends on sort of the size of the race obviously because some of these can be you know cost prohibitive but you know a lot of the different like modeling organizations and sort of testing entities out there we'll, we'll work in tandem with to sort of get the best best analytics out there for us.
1: You said something about sometimes people send too much mail. I've heard of situations where people say mail consultants will come in and pitch more pieces than are sort of provably useful. I don't know what actually goes on, but I've heard that that goes on. How do you think about like being careful about, you know, like selling things that are actually useful to the campaign?
0: Yeah, I mean, mean, first and foremost, like we really pride ourselves on it. All of the folks that we that come and work at Wildfire have had a background in campaigns. So, like, we understand that like the dollars that we're recommending someone spend were hard earned. I mean, they're either they were hard earned by the candidate or the fundraisers, plus whoever the donors were. Like, this is not just sort of like people writing million dollar checks. This is money that was earned. So, like, there's an understanding of that. I think sort of helps temper people's expectations and sort of where where we try to make recommendations. We also sort of like know that, like at the end of the day, like we want to do what's best for the campaign, and sometimes it does mean you know more mail mail pieces. But oftentimes it means like this really is much more a digital player, like a TV play. Um, so we really, really strive and like pride ourselves on being like really good team players with, with that regard. When it comes to sort of like the number of pieces, I think there's there's oftentimes sort of a misquoted study that says like three pieces is the max for you know. Any any particular campaign, and I think it's misunderstood that that's three pieces on a topic to an audience, not three pieces total for a campaign. Um, so sometimes you have to have some education there. But generally speaking, like you want a little bit of repetition, but you know, there's there's also you know, overkill, and so you want to, you want to balance those things. But I think in bottom line, it just becomes like be an honest person, um, recognize that these are people doing hard work, and you know, you want to give the best recommendation that makes the most sense for the campaign. But you know, ultimately. Like, I believe that there's there's enough business to go around and there's enough campaigns to go around that you know just doing honest work is much better in the long run than like trying to you know, get a short-term gain by you know, plusing up your mail budget by
1: 50%. What was the founding story for your mail company, for Wildfire?
0: Yeah, so Wildfire uh, Contact was originally started by uh, Mitch Stewart and, and Paul Tews, um in 2015, along with Mary Grace Galston. They originally started off just as a a phone and field company. Did that for about a cycle, um, then approached Emily Parcell, uh, who they've been working with a little bit, to do, you know, some some mail, and asked her if she was, you know, would like to come, you know, start the mail division. After going back and forth, she she decided to go forward with that. Um, and then about three to four months after that, I was kind of ready to, to do my own thing as well. Um, we got connected through a good friend of ours, um, and we met and it seemed to make good sense. She had really good, strong, you know, political campaign background. I had already sort of run. Had experience like running a couple different political shops and kind of knew the business side of things, and it was a really good, really good match. So we did that and then formally launched Wildfire Mail in 2018 as sort of a separate entity from from Wildfire Contact as a whole.
1: Okay, so I was wondering about that distinction. Does that mean? it's separate ownership just uses the same name or are
0: there there used to be we were emily now now own it on it, own it fully so uh, we own wildfire mail completely the whole division it used to be some sort of cross ownership and we just thought it was a lot easier for us to sort of take full ownership there
1: and wildfire contacts still out there doing what they do wildfire contacts still out there doing the phone in the field um and doing great as well got it um uh, what's the scope of what you do is it only mail
0: so Wildfire Mail does just direct mail, you know, anything that prints essentially like, you know, uh, yard signs, et cetera, um, as well as sort of just general strategic um, communication advice on small races. That means we're kind of GC helping set up you know, fundraising apparatus, like doing the whole thing. And we kind of really enjoy doing that on larger races. Then we're kind of in a little more of our, our siloed role, but, you know, usually are, are called upon from uh, try to be a little bit more involved than just your, your typical sort of like waiting until eight weeks out for an election to kind of start dropping mail. We really tell all our clients that if we're not being, you know, utilized from the outset of our, our relationship, then you know, you're, you're not using us right, so make sure you, you do. How big of a firm are you? So, as with anything, it's cyclical, right? So my, while well, for mail is currently 18 employees, then we get up to about 50 to 55 during the cycle. So it's a good size shop. We have offices in DC, Chicago, and, and
1: Des Moines. And who do you typically work for? Across
0: the board. So we work everything from presidential down to, you know, school board, uh, city council, really runs the gamut. Um, and you know, the, the great thing about sort of, particularly with Emily and I, our background really came from like a really strong background in state legislative races. So try to really make sure that whatever clients we're working on, they get the same level of service across the board, right? Whether it's whether it's a congressional or a state ledge, they're gonna get the same quality work, same quality account folks, same quality writing, and it's not just sort of a handoff. Because uh, for us, you know, building the bench and kind of maintaining that program is really important for us.
1: What's different about your firm, if anything, than other competitive mail yeah, firms? Yeah,
0: no, it's, it's a good question. I mean, like, the, the truth of the matter is like there's a lot of great mail firms out there. We always joke. Um, I'm great friends with many of my competitors. I think part of the reason is what you alluded to earlier with you know, Matt Engel's statement about sort of. The, the hierarchy of direct mail within the consultant sphere, and like ultimately, like we're kind of used to being sort of the second and third chair on the consultant ladder. We sort of recognize that role, and I don't think we like you know fight as monks much each other. You might hear with like with media consultants and sort of like the way that sometimes that that might happen. So, you know, I think a lot of great firms out there. Many of them came out of the same sort of you know web that that Emily and I did for the, you know Hal Malchow and Rich Lockman and Jim Crowns. Like all of those were like they were like the episode. That was of, a
1: very big firm for a very while. big firm, very very yeah.
0: big firm. And I, I would say I don't have the exact stats, but I'd say about fifty to seventy-five percent of the top firms out there, someone, one of the principals, came from that ecosystem, right? I think what separates out us is one, we, as I mentioned earlier, like we really, really, really pride ourselves on, no matter the level, race, giving you know, good, strategic investment and sound advice to our clients. It's not just about trying out the mail. We really strive to sort of you know push a, a a culture within our firm and with our campaigns that I think is slightly different. Sometimes this is helpful and people want it. Sometimes they don't, but that's sort of like where things are at. But both Emily and I feel really strongly when we built out both Wildfire Mail and and Goodstock that the culture of burnout within political campaigns is one of the reasons that we continue to sort of lose talent is because it's really hard the way things were to work till 2 a.m. and have a family or have a life and like stay healthy and not like go into panic attack mode or have like really unhealthy habits. So we've been really intentional with the way we set up our firm. We overstaff so like people aren't getting burned out. And we try to sort of create that same atmosphere with our clients that we take on as well, so that they recognize that there is a way to do a campaign without, you know, burning burning yourself out to two AM just because that's how your boss did it, you know, four years before. Um, so we really try to set that sort of like more self care, uh, which I know is sort of like this, you know, the the lingo right now. But like that's something that we really feel is, is really important to sort of really emphasize taking care of our staff, ourselves, and our and our clients, and sort of help change. To whatever extent we can, like this, the, that part of the, the campaign culture that I think has been, you know, frankly, recognized as kind of toxic in the past couple of years.
1: You said in a side earlier something about being part of an entrepreneurs organization. Uh, is that EO? Is that yeah, 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 EO, yeah, yeah. So I, I joined that last year, and that's an organization where you talk to other business owners, and you have a fo- typically forums of a small number I've been in one uh, or two or three of of different (laughs) types of those over the years and I found it pretty helpful what's your experience been with that and why and why is that a good fit for a political consultant
0: yeah I found it so helpful I mean I think you know one I mean obviously I grew up in the industry I saw political business but for the most part none of us come from like an MBA background or sort of like have like pure business training um and ultimately when you start running a shop like you're running a business like yes it's political but it's, it's end of the day it's still business, still there's HR issues, still there's sort of different like cash flow management, still there's like just general ways of thinking about how to how to manage a company. And while you know there's the APC and there's different like sort of organizations around politics, ultimately like sitting around and talking to a bunch of your competitors about the problems you're having um or how you're thinking about going about marketing or things like that, you're just not gonna get the open conversations that you need or or like the, the, the information that's as, as helpful. So being able to be around a bunch of other business owners who are dealing with similar things um, and like navigating, you know, similar and different you know, problems
1: in totally different industries,
0: totally different industries is, is so eye opening and helpful. Like one it's really helpful to know that like, you're not alone. <laughs> this is like, everyone's gone through this or, or has experienced something similar, which is a great relief. And then two, like just to hear other ways people have tackled similar issues or like, or things that you haven't even experienced yet that like might be coming down the road that you can learn from. Really, really eye-opening, really, really helpful, and like has been, you know, just a, a real, real, real helpful thing for me over the past year, just to sort of wrap my head around sort of what the next thing looks like mm-hmm. for, for for Wildfire Mail and for Goodstock.
1: Does anything come to mind that was like an issue that you brought to that group that you could share that that you think made a difference to be able to air it? In that context?
0: In that context? I'm trying to think. Nothing specifically, but like the, I think what's most helpful, or I found most helpful is that there are some, there's always like, you know, what's your work life balance? Like, it's, it's just total junk. Like, there's no really the way to balance. Like, your work, when you own a company and your work is your life, they're all sort of intertwined. It's about, it's sort of how do you sort of navigate between, between them all? And sort of being able to sort of have those conversations with other folks who have, you know, spouses and have children and have companies and sort of how you navigate all those things. Um, it was just, was just, has always been like super helpful. And so like having that, that group of, of folks that you can sort of share those experiences with is, is, is very, very helpful.
1: Good stock and company came to my attention because higher ground announced that they had another cohort. And I always look at, at who they're funding and, you know, they're generally pretty smart about who they pick. What's the founding story there? Why did you put together, Another company on top of the one you're already running, and what what's it up to?
0: You know, as as I mentioned
1: with the Wildfire Mail, we you
0: know, work a lot of campaigns um, up and down the ballot, independent expenditures like large you know progressive political groups. And since our founding, you know, we've been asked to do you know ca- occasional T-shirt here and there, some bumper stickers. That sort of started to grow. Like we started getting asked to do that more and more to the point where it was enough of a revenue driver, and we saw enough of a a need in the industry to sort of fill a gap between being able to access union-made, American-made, and union-printed merchandise in a way that was easier to do than, than had been in the past. So it, essentially, just it really evolved out of clients asking us to do it and then us looking around the space and seeing that this didn't exist. And so what started off as us just purely you know, taking orders and fulfilling them we stood back and said, like all right well how do we scale this thing how does this thing get more than just us taking orders and fulfilling it and it really became clear that this needed to be more of a a tech solution than a you know any sort of like merchandise production solution so we looked around we looked at shopify we looked at a couple different off the rack e-commerce sites and they're all fine and they all work great for Probably ninety five percent of the e commerce world out there, but as we started to dig in deeper and like talk to clients about needs and talk to other folks within the industry and like compliance folks and managers about like what would they like to see in this, it became clear that a off the shelf e commerce site was not going to fill the immediate needs and or the future needs of sort of where campaigns were. So we decided to step back, take the jump, and actually invest in sort of building out our own e commerce you know website that allows campaigns to you know really seamlessly. Upload and create a store within you know two to four hours, so very very quickly. It integrates with ActBlue, so compliance is a lot easier. And we've already gone and sourced all of the like you know the top thirty most popular items that campaign stores usually ask for. So rather than having to go to four or five different vendors, figure out what those look like, source those, price those, get those printed, and then do the fulfillment, which these campaigns do, or they just go direct to you know a couple of competitors that have you know, just one siloed shop. We're able to sort of offer all these different avenues for getting different merchandise, but do the fulfillment as one seamless transaction as well, all integrated with Blue. We had that sort of alpha in 2020, really successful. Um, also was able to do sort of like, you know, I think it was a, an offshoot of COVID, but we were able to be like the yard sign captain for the Teresa Greenfield campaign. When they weren't able to go door to door, there was a end functionality where people could add um, you know, a free yard sign to their checkout order that we'd also fulfill for folks um, if they were within the state of, of Iowa. So we, we sort of developed a few different things there, got additional feedback, and really became clear that this, this was a thing. And folks really did need a solution like this that was going to work. So got the alpha there and working on beta with an MVP for 2022 that uh, will take a lot of those features we learned about and kind of push a little bit further. Long-term goal, we're looking to be able to do, like really do the democratization of merchandise through our own fault we always say like yard signs don't vote, right? So like the idea of like merchandise being anything strategic has been, you know, rightfully I think for a time pushed out there as a as a narrative. But the truth is, yard signs may not vote, and T-shirts may not vote, but ultimately they do show that there's support within your neighborhood. And particularly now, um, I think with sort of how isolated some people might feel about their political viewpoints and the idea of like wearing sort of your viewpoints on your shirt, Trump's red hat, like all those things, like this idea of sort of it being a values based component of sort of what people do now is sort of shifted. And so I think there's a fundraising component that can be used a lot more strategically than the campaigns I've done in the past. There's an organizing component that can use merchandise in a way that hasn't been done in the past. So we're really looking forward to sort of, you know because we're doing a custom build on ourselves, building this from scratch with all these things in mind, a lot of really great integrations with other tech tools that are already out there that can allow the overall political ecosystem to kind of take advantage of of this as one of the, the systems there.
1: My understanding was that there were quite a number of solutions already. When you look at the competitive field for campaign stores, they've been widespread for years in many campaigns. What do you see out there and what exactly is different from you?
0: There are. There's a handful of different stores out there. Some have been, as you mentioned, around for quite a long time. What would you think are the leading ones right now? So I think FII is, is one, that, like, one of the major ones out there. Um, you know, Dem Store used to be one where people would sort of order on their own. The major one out there that, most frequently is you know either states made or bumper active those are, are frequently out there as well what's different about good stock than those one they're all built off of Shopify they're all sort of stuck within whatever Shopify allows you to do which is great it's a very short-term quick solution as we discovered to like to get a store up uh, we decided to invest in sort of the infrastructure on our own so they actually have a lot more ability to sort of do the customization that's necessary to kind of grow with where the, the industry is going. We're the only one that does ActBlue integration. So you can check out with ActBlue full of compliance. Um, we're looking forward to doing updates and sort of integrations with other compliance software out there for 2022, which I think will be super helpful um, because the major complaint we get is just sort of how difficult it is to sort of track all those things. We also come again from a campaign background. So one of the major complaints we usually get is that while there's usually a notice at the bottom saying like this is run by someone not the, that's not the campaign. Ultimately like whatever the customer service experience is, is this a voter experience. Um, and we recognize that and we really sort of have a very top level customer service there that helps to navigate that. In addition, we are not the sole provider of the merchandise, right? So many of these other ones, they're essentially just it's a web store in front of a a back end vendor, like a printer, right? All well and good. But it limits Scalability. So if they get really, really busy, they're really, really busy in their little shop. It also limits what items are available and it limits sort of like what the different you know variables and possibilities are versus we're going to be able to source from multiple vendors across the country. And it all sort of depend on the what's needed at the time. So it's it really is more of a, a total web solution versus like a storefront for a, a printer.
1: Is there a relationship between Wildfire, Mail and Goodstock?
0: Um, other than the fact that both Emily and I are, are owners of, of both, um, along with some some other partners, that's that's the only relationship at the time. Like there was previously with some some organic overlay with the staff, but you know, Goodstock is its own its own entity at the moment. And you know, we brought on um, Audra Gracia, who's fantastic, um, sort of as our chief innovation officer and managing partner, who really has a great understanding of not just customer service. Used to work at Wicker and a few other places, but also sort of like how to, to translate the tech speak. To the developers and to sort of like the end user as well. So sort of really focused on sort of making sure that the customer experience and user experience is at the top notch.
1: Sometimes it's a challenge for someone who's been running a service company to switch to being a product company or to manage a product company. One of the reasons often is you know in services you land clients you get paid you land clients you get paid you understand that revenue model. But the product company, sometimes it's you need to raise money, build something, and then you kind of over time have this repeatable product that hopefully you sell and makes back the investment that you put in it. How did you navigate that change? It's totally different. You're 100% right. It's going from service to product is very different. And even sort
0: of owning that mindset. As we're currently in the shift is, is always difficult, right? Because you have that, you know, natural instinct about the service, the service of service, and having to remember that like, there are tools and the reason we're building this, the technology is to take over some of those things, right? Frankly, that's one of the reasons we brought Audra on board is like to help remind us that like, yes, that's well and good, but here's a technical solution for that instead. So one I think is just like, and I think I've learned this as a, as a business owner in general is like, your success is fully dependent on the people you surround yourself with. And, being able to step back and like own your ego and know that like hiring people that are smarter than you is really really helpful and like knowing what you don't know is really really helpful. And so like we've been really intentional about that. You know HGL super helpful in that regard as well sort of like helping us navigate, you know, what we don't know, which is always I think one of the hardest parts of any of this. Just sort of recognize that as a critical part of it. You know, in specifics about, you know, with, with good stock, you know, I think we've we've just really tried to step back and look at, you know, throughout all these processes You know, really, where can we automate, where can we sort of take out friction and then again, relying on people much smarter than me within development, to like help point that out. Um, And then hopefully I'm asking the right questions to, to get uh, get us on the path.
1: That decision to build out your own tech rather than necessarily build on something like Shopify. Yeah. That seems like, I, I can see the upside to that, like control. Yep
0: big downside too it's not inexpensive <laughs> not inexpensive and also
1: you don't get the benefit of the software that's been developed for thousands of merchants and has many features that you know maybe you won't use them all but they're out there how's that working out yeah it's a really really good question for alpha we looked at this and then prior to you know beta
0: we revisited it as well spent about 2 months sort of doing due diligence on that and really looking through all the different e-commerce our current e-commerce site and what we'd want to make adjustments to and build off of. And really what came down to was that where we saw the future of this going and the different iterations of political tech and all the integrations that we'd want to use, it felt far more limiting to go with sort of an off-the-shelf solution that would require constant tweaks. And frankly, to your point, yes, have solutions that have worked for thousands of different customers, but not this particular use case, and be handcuffed by whatever decision they make. And then, in addition to that, you know, one of the things we really wanted to do was really make this available to campaigns at every level. And unfortunately, with any Shopify or anything like that, there's, there's a user cost, right? Like every site has X dollars cost for the site. So, on a small scale, totally makes sense to do a Shopify solution 30 bucks, 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month. To, to really scale this thing, when you start doing the math and you get to 50 to 100 sites, those start to add up you got to pass this on the customer we really didn't want to pass this on to the customer we wanted to make this as, as available as possible and so as we looked at the different math there to like really develop this thing the cost of scale started to exceed the cost to build once you started factoring in like the little nicks you kept getting every month for like adding each additional user on top of the fact that you sort of have to set up a sub user account for those things it just got a little more cumbersome and not as streamlined for us to sort of own now Having said that, we've spent a fair amount developing. We're going to have to bring out an in-house developer pretty soon too, so like there's not unknown cost there, right? <laughs> but ultimately like based upon our trajectory and what we're looking at for like market share and things like that, I think we'll be in a pretty good position to you know still be a, a good profitable company that is able to sort of fulfill the mission, which is to make merchandise strategically available to campaigns at all levels. So that's the goal there.
1: You alluded to the idea that you could be integrating with other political tech and of course, when you're doing something custom and you're thinking about the interest of your clients, you have a lot more options. What do you have in mind there? So obviously, as I mentioned,
0: you know, already integrate with ActBlue, um, looking to you know add in additional you know checkout features uh, for twenty two as well, um, both within the political space, but in know outside. So like we offer right now ActBlue and Stripe, but looking to offer additional checkout options as well. To sort do- of create as many different ways for, for folks to donate. Also like as in talking to campaigns, sort of the gamification of campaigns is really picked up, right? So we'd love to sort of do more additional integrations with other field organizing technology. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking to some folks who do you know, much more of a digital integration as well for for sort of like essentially volunteer reward systems. Um, as, you know, let's say you get to
1: I mean it would seem like all of the firms that build websites and do email and CRM type companies How's that going as far as those partnerships?
0: I thought you were talking about just integrations, like actually, like um, you know, building out like the tech integration. But yeah, to that point, yeah, I mean, we've had you know tons of folks reach out to us within the the web space and in di- digital space about you know using this tool as well. There's a handful that we've already sort of set up agreements there with as well. It's a lot easier to set up than some of these other ones, and the, the fact that we do all the sourcing fulfillment really removes a lot of the friction there from a from a third party standpoint as well.
1: I have a friend who runs a company that does fulfillment of rewards programs for big companies that are aimed at helping their reward their employees. I remember that fulfillment can turn into a challenge, and he's been a guy who's owned his own warehouse and had people working there and wondered about whether to outsource that or do it himself at different points along the trajectory of the company. Is this challenging for you? Do you sort of sub that out to your various vendors that you're pulling together? What's the plan there, and how are you doing it? Fulfillment is definitely a challenge. I mean, ironically, through COVID, I think New York Times just had a whole uh,
0: whole article I think on the front page last week, and like the five main industries that are hit most are, you know, mail, postage, freight, textiles. <laughs> So I'm sitting there looking around going, Great, with all these things it's all about it's all about problem solving. But for fulfillment specifically, yes, it's definitely a challenge. It requires, you know, a lot of different, you know, really coordinated SKUs, making sure everything sort of aligns and, and reports well. And particularly the way, you know, good stock works, the campaigns can either purchase it wholesale for larger discounts, they can purchase it as a sort of a one off, so on demand, which means it literally prints, you know, one t shirt at a time as T shirt example, or a delayed sale essentially. So like we'll case the orders until every Friday and whatever's accumulated to that point, they'll get that price point for that. So there's like three different SKUs that are involved with each different product. Those get divvied up to a lot of different vendors depending on sort of what the quantity, the size, etc. And then they all get sent to one central location for fulfillment. So we have found it is easier right now to have a centralized fulfillment center right next door to where our current offices is in Des Moines. It makes it a lot easier for us to sort of like keep an eye on quality control. Also being in Des Moines allows essentially a two day ship anywhere in the country. That's been helpful. I think As we continue to scale, I think we're going to have to sort of continually revisit sort of where those different fulfillment centers are. But ultimately, for a campaign, you know, every campaign's fulfillment center is going to have to be all those products will have to go to the same fulfillment center. We toyed with sort of doing the Amazon model where like you might make an order for five items and like they come three days and then it'll come six days. And our viewpoint from a customer experience standpoint, like that would just be a little more cumbersome. And frankly, from a shipping standpoint, just costs more. We've defaulted right now to have a centralized fulfillment center. And then we currently, you know, partner with you know one of our uh, fulfillment center partners there right now.
1: Business model: How do you make money off of setting up these stores for people and fulfilling these products?
0: We're still navigating a couple of portions of this. You know, currently, the website setup is free. Um, we're looking at a couple of different models that allow for some additional customer service and strategy. You might be able to pay you know X dollars more a month and you get twenty four seven customer service response if that's important for a campaign. You also can you know maybe pay a little bit extra per month to get fundraising expertise on there to actually tell you how to sort of navigate the fundraising program and use merchandise in a a really strategic way in addition to that there's a whole sales tax apparatus that has to be sort of managed so those are so different like monthly business models where there's a small amount of profit made and then we just take a percentage of of sales of the overall wholesale purchase price or like if it were to be on demand like a small percentage of that as well
1: are you familiar with custom inc yep super similar yeah i had the good fortune to tour their facility along the way. And they were amazing on the internal analytics side, from what I could tell. I mean, they were printing custom t-shirts for teams and things like that. Very data-driven, grew really fast. I think they sold for like a billion dollars, right? T-shirts and other things that were customized. And I know that they like really watched that user experience and they really made sure that they had performance indicators internally about how things, and they also had to do design to help people get to the right product that would look right so they would be happy with it, all these pieces. How much do you look around at these sort of models? and A lot. Custom Make was
0: definitely one that we looked at you know, pretty heavily. I and mean, frankly, at one point we looked at like, can we just partner with them and sort of create like a substore, right? Like, But the problem there is like within the progressive space, obviously it's sort of like very important for us to sort of work and live our values, we're not union. They're not always American made products. I mean, so, like, there's some hiccups there that didn't allow that to be the case. But absolutely, we've looked at them as a, as a model and sort of like how to build out the proper UX. And to your point about analytics, you know, what we're excited about, and then one of the other reasons about sort of building a custom instead of, you know, off the shelf e commerce is not only do we get to see like full insight and sort of the, the user experience and sort of how they navigate, but also longer term within the industry, being able to get generic data across all the campaign stores about. You know what's performing well, what's not, how are these things interacting, and make better recommendations for our clients. And then longer term, uh, sort of our, our big, hairy, audacious goal is to sort of convert this more to sort of a, is a co-op model necessarily? But we really want to be able to scale so that the pricing becomes more dynamic, right? So like right now it's 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 not static, but like as you order more with anything, like the cost per unit becomes cheaper. Right now we can offer that to individual campaigns because it's really easy to know what they're ordering because they're telling us they're ordering 100 T-shirts. What our goal to get to is that the pricing is dynamic based upon the entire platform. And so if there's ten thousand shirts being ordered, then all people ordering those ten like the cumulative ten thousand shirts get the ten thousand shirt unit price.
1: Across all the campaigns.
0: Across all the campaigns, yeah. So that's really our our long term goal, again to sort of this idea of democratizing merchandise, is to really make this as affordable as possible so that, you know, our campaigns can Do you think
1: that works internally? There may be as much work to service a tiny campaign <laughs> as a big campaign. And sure, yeah, I mean, sometimes we want pricing to reflect actual
0: cost. Yeah, you do. And I think, you know, part of that is sort of weighing the, for Emily and I, at least in, and, and Audres, we're looking at like, you're correct. Printing one t-shirt is as much of a pain as printing a hundred t-shirts. Cause once you print go, it's, it's kind of just going right. Like that's, and the, the fulfillment's a little bit more involved, but yeah. ultimately you know, more like, boxes
1: on the fulfillment. Yeah, side, exactly.
0: Yeah. But you know, for us, and sort of like looking at sort of where this was in 18 and 20 and sort of really the the fundraising component here and like how much more folks would be you know, raising off of these and earning off of these for us, it came down to sort of like, if we can still make a profit, you know, we're not going to get rich off this thing, but if we can still make a profit, then it's more of a loss leader to do this one off.
1: Why wouldn't you want to get rich off this thing? I mean, what's the point of <laughs> building, what, what's the point of building this if not to really make it successful and take over?
0: No, I think absolutely like that's, would be a great outcome, I think, for, for Emily and I and, and Audra. I firmly believe that if you build a, a business correctly that, that that sort of happens organically and naturally. And I to your point, yes, there's gonna be some some products that may not be as profitable as others, but you know there's there's some candidates races that we take on, like state led races and things like that, where our, our margins on the male side are, are smaller as well. And you take those on because one, it's a candidate you believe in and you think it's the right thing, but also like they usually run for something else. So like to your point, like the store that's like only doing a t-shirt right now,
1: you might have the long view here. That, that maybe maybe happen.
0: one in ten becomes a like congressional, like and that sort of makes up. So, like I think all of that sort of like kind of balances itself out over the course of time. And yeah, you know, we want to certainly earn an income and 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 be comfortable. But like you know, the the model that we have with Wildfire Mail, we really like to share the resources with the staff and sort of you know create a Wildfire team fund that allows you know staff members for who have been there for X number of years to actually get like you know share a proper share of the company at the interview cycle. And like, I think we recognize that like everyone gives in, in different values and making sure that people are sort of rewarded accordingly is sort of how we, how we want to operate.
1: Just kind of a broad question about merchandise in campaigns and related entities. I don't know hardly anything about it. I've bought bumper stickers. (laughs) I've looked at yard signs. I've watched my brother's campaign for county commissioner and he's bought a few t-shirts and things like that. But, my guess is that most campaigns don't sell a lot of merchandise. That a few campaigns, you know, that catch fire, you know, an Obama or a Sanders sell a ton of merchandise than they get because they're cool and or maybe a, a candidate who just has a very passionate following, an AOC or something. Is it completely skewed like that, the distribution of merchandise to campaigns?
0: Yeah, I mean currently it is. It's sort of like the launch video, right? <laughs> like everyone's doing a launch video.
1: Yeah, some of them get three million views, and most of them get ten views.
0: Correct. For the most part, you know, every campaign usually has you know ten to fifteen volunteers or staff. They're buying t-shirts for you know their hundred bumper stickers. They're you know two hundred. They stand in the
1: parade in the county wearing those t-shirts. Correct. Yeah.
0: Correct. So like, no matter what, these are being purchased. So you know, our our mindset on this was like, look, this is already part of a campaign expenditure. If we can help. Campaigns think more strategically about how to use this and lower their cost to do it and increase their cost of, of value for, for fundraising. Great. Does that mean that every campaign store is gonna be like selling ten thousand t shirts? Absolutely not. And frankly, like we ran an in instances last like where like we set up a store and the campaign like never told anyone about it. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> I think <laughs>
1: they maybe need some more best practices in launching
0: you have to do the work to kind of get it out there. That being said, I think one of the things is like the, I think you alluded to earlier is like, if you're capturing the moment the right way, if you're designing merchandise that people want to wear, I think that changes a lot. And frankly, since, you know, 18 on, like we've just seen that tweak happen a little bit more like the, even the products, right? Like I think you've been in the industry for, for, for a long time. I remember getting like the really uncomfortable, like 50, 50, the hefty shirts, right? They're like, no one really wanted to wear. You just wore it and it's sort of like the white screen print on, and like it said the person's name. There wasn't anything creative about it. It wasn't something that you'd wear outside of just you're going to that campaign event. I think what we've seen over the past you know, four to six years is it's gotten cooler, for lack of a better term, right? The politics has gotten cooler. It's become more pop culture. You have a lot of cross collaborations. We work with When We All Vote and there's cross collaborations with Gucci for merchandise and things like that, right? So I think there's there's been a little bit of a shift there that I think if campaigns are strategic about really thinking through what they want to put out there, and it's more than just, sometimes it could be the logo, but if it's more than just their logo, then there's there's more of an appeal for folks to actually want to purchase this and frankly use this as a way to sort of get those low-dollar donors in there that might not otherwise give to a campaign, which is one of the benefits of, of a storm is you actually get to sort of capture you know, future prospects that may not have any other entry point for the campaign than through this.
1: Whenever you have a lot of customers in a market, I think it's natural to start thinking about, well, what else can I do? And if you end up with a substantial market share of the campaign shop, you're integrated with enterprises across the country. What do you think about as like future trajectory that might use that beachhead into the economy in other ways yeah i mean like sort of outside of political campaigns in particular within campaigns to other things outside of campaigns like where might this take you when you you know have a blue sky that you're looking at about this company
0: <laughs> yeah i mean like we're we're really excited for where it's at right now i think you know looking long term um i think there's a couple different big things out there like one is the dynamic pricing that i talked about the other sort of like just expanding outside of the political market in particular there's a big need and opening here for nonprofits.
1: Sierra Club T-shirts.
0: Totally, yeah.
1: Is it different competition in that space?
0: Uh, s- somewhat. A lot of folks just don't even know to create a store right now. A lot of those those different spaces are just going to sort of like the the tried and true, you know, local T-shirt vendor in the community and like getting that done, which is great. And so one of the things we're actually looking to build out now is like. Creating a, a back end system so that vendors can sort of submit to be part of our, our ecosystem as well, right? So that it is not just sort of like our relationships, but if people bring other so relationships. What does there, that
1: mean? That they're resellers? Uh, no, they're,
0: they're the actual the vendors themselves. Uh, explain. Uh, like the actual t shirt wholesalers within the whole like, merchandise space, right? Like there's the wholesalers, there's the printers, there's the fulfillment, the producers. We sort of fall in this like weird in between there. Like we're kind of connecting to those things. But our, our goal would be to get like a lot more of these wholesalers sort of involved because there's there's a lot of like really cool um, smaller shops that are coming up to kind of put together their own textiles.
1: Well, so supposing I can make uh, sunglasses for politicians or something customized. How could I involve myself in your store and how would that serve me?
0: Yeah, where we're looking to be is to be able to add you as a sort of back end vendor. Right? So you could be one of when, when someone goes to set up their store your sunglasses could be included in one of the 30 selections
1: that we do your campaigns like pick from a list basically. Yeah. And they say, we want to be able to do t-shirts, bumper stickers, sunglasses, and boots or something.
0: Yep. So yeah. right now the way it works is, you know, you log in, you upload your logo, you choose your tour, two to four PMS colors to sort of map your campaign site. You put in your Act Blue ID or your Stripe account so we can kind of connect all those things. And then you're you're pushed to a catalog of, of 30 curated items that you know, we found have sold best across the, the, the industry. You select those items, you choose, you know, amongst a handful of them, not all of them are available to do this, but the majority of them you choose whether or not you want this to be you know a wholesale purchase, I meaning you're gonna buy in bulk. We usually recommend those for like sort of larger state campaigns that know they're gonna have use for volunteers for campaign staff and sort of see a future need there so they can just frankly have a better profit margin when they sell to, to their donors pre-sale or on demand gonna choose that level the type of item you want you load that into your cart um, that gets uploaded to your your website for people start purchasing within like you know 24 or 48 hours if there's an item there that you don't see that you want you just reach out to us and we can we usually have that already sourced we just didn't put it on there frankly because we found that like if you put too many items on there from a user experience standpoint people just get overwhelmed And odds are, like, they don't actually need, you know, the nail file or the, you know, the rolling papers or whatever that might be that they want to, you know, customize for their campaign.
1: (laughs) There are plenty of stores like Zazzle or something where you could upload an image and it'll appear on cups and T-shirts, whatever you want. How is this different than that? I'm assuming it's quite substantially different, but could a campaign just hook up to one of those
0: Totally, Can't I, make can yeah. absolutely set up a Zazzle account. Um, I think the wh- what you lose is you lose the sourcing of union products, American-made products, union printing, and integration with you know ActBlue and other future checkout sites in the future. So like, absolutely, we're not creating an entirely new sector. We're just solving for friction points within our specific political space that currently doesn't exist. So there's absolutely products out there that do very similar stuff to what we do. They just have not integrated the right sourcing to like meet with the progressive values that most democratic candidates, um, demand.
1: Say you had a podcast in the political space and you wanted to suddenly add merchandise. Let's say something like great battlefield on it. What would be the steps? What would be the costs? What could you set up and how, yeah.
0: So, so currently you go to our site and you can request a login. The reason we do that is because of the fact that like we are a progressive democratic firm still, and we want to make sure that, you know, who's coming on board is, is someone who aligns with those values. You're given a user account, um, and kind of once you sign in, create your account, you choose how you want to check out the ActBlue or Stripe for folks like yourself, that would be you know, not a, a, a campaign. You, you choose the Stripe checkout, you'd upload your logo, you'd upload, you know, your, your PMS colors that you want to integrate with. You would select how you want it to be featured, like the, the URL, um, and kind of select that. And then there's a walkthrough there if you want to actually have it be like, you know, store.greatbattlefield.
1: You select the merchandise that you want to sell. And it just plunks the logo down in a sort of templated way, or is there customizing of? So it, it
0: defaults to that, but you can always reach out and we can make whatever changes that are necessary there. So like, it's essentially the, the best of both worlds from like the Zazzle standpoint, right? Like you are not sitting there sort of like designing it yourself. Um, but you, you're uploading your logo, and if you need additional logo assistance we can we do that as well, um, and then we can you know modify the placement as, as necessary. We get the store loaded up, you approve all through the, the site, you approve sort of the, the look of it, and it goes live. And then from that point on, um, you know we take care of everything else. So, yeah.
1: and that's on demand, so it's there's no inventory until nope. yeah, got it. Nope. Is there a question I should have asked that I haven't? Gosh, no, you covered a lot. It was great, sort of kind of going all over. Uh, all,
0: all the different aspects of, of my, my career and what Good doing and what Wildfire Mail's doing.
1: So no, I pre- appreciate it. It sounds like fun, actually. Is it?
0: Yeah, it is. It's, it's a lot of fun. I think, you know, I've been doing mail for 20 plus years. This has been a nice, different, like, intellectual challenge. And you know, particularly now that we've brought on you know other folks that sort of can kind of take the the more technical standpoint of things and, and really kind of drive that. It's been really cool to just see something grow. And I think to your point earlier about sort of the difference between a sales company and a service company and a more tech—it's—they're different. And so it's been Product, really yeah. fun. Yeah, it's been really fun to see that that the, the, the differential there and learn what I can apply from what I've learned running you know, various different service businesses to like what I can't and how that needs to change. Um, and so that's been it's been really fun.
1: Well, it's been fun talking to you. No, it's been great. I appreciate it. Anything else you want to say?
0: Uh, no, but if you have any pointers at any point uh, that you want to, you care to share, I'm all ears. I love learning,
1: and I, I know you you did quite well, um, you know, building out what you did. Um, and so, any any lessons learned? Um, well, you, I mean, you might integrate with NGP Van on the if they'll let you on the you know the same way you do with ActBlue.
0: Yeah, that's that's one of our, our first asks of uh, of uh, HGL. Actually, is like um, helping us get that connected up.
1: ActBlue probably a little easier to just automate that, right? Or
0: They they have open APIs, like we can just get it versus NGP. We actually have to have like more conversations.
1: (laughs) I I did want to ask you about the HGL. So, why do you think they added you to their cohort and what are they offering that's of value to you?
0: Yeah, a couple things. I think one, Emily and I are, are sort of proven practitioners in the industry, like sort of proven ourselves to have been able to create the company, right? So, I think there's just some generic when you listen to these different stories of Silicon Valley, like sometimes people are investing in the product, sometimes they're just investing in the people. I think this is a little combination of the two. Like, I think they recognize that, you know, we've been able to successfully build out a, a, you know, a company and, and have, you know, a good reputation and sort of have been as able to establish ourselves as folks that can kind of do this. And then two, in discussing with them, like they, they too saw this really big movement within you know, both Democrat and Republican, frankly, of sort of like wearing what you believe while there are certainly solutions for that, they recognize that there wasn't like a political solution for that. There wasn't a campaign solution that like really took advantage of all the different things that can do there. During one of the, uh, the interviews, like they sort of like just stepped back and like, if you can make campaign merchandise cool and like culturally irrelevant, like that's a huge step forward. And the way to do that is to make it more accessible. And so I, I think they just recognize that there's an actual strategic role for merchandise and the way to sort of ingratiate that within a campaign is to kind of go the tech solution route and really create a product, a tech product that seamlessly streamlines that into the overall campaign setup, right? So like, you know, long-term goal, I would love if on like the trip checklist, you're buying your campaign URL when you launch, you're also like creating your good stock URL, you know, store, even if you haven't loaded up yet, but that's just like one of the first things you do just to make sure that you got it set up so that when something pops, you can take advantage of
1: it. Yeah, of course you'd want that and you'd want that in every state legislature too.
0: (laughs) That's right. right? That's right.
1: Well, I wish you luck. Awesome. I appreciate it. Thanks for talking to me. So that was Josh Grossfeld. He's at goodstockcompany.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with The Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.